Hey everybody, welcome to Momletics. I'm your host, Rebecca Sheehan. Just curious, how many of you listening or watching right now are doing so indoors? My guess would be most of you, because for most Americans today, so much of our lives takes place inside. It's become our default, whether we're sitting at a desk at work or at school, sitting on the couch watching TikTok for hours or binge watching TV shows. And even when we are outdoors, a lot of the times we're in our cars driving from point A to point B. And some days, if your car is in a garage, you might not even go outside at all. Of course, many of today's jobs require people to sit in front of computers. But even though technology has evolved, the physiological needs of human beings have not. We still need sunshine, need to be active, need to be outdoors, even on days that aren't sunny and beautiful. Which brings me to today's guest, Swedish author and speaker, Linda McGurk. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. So Linda is known on social media as the rain or shine mama, because Linda somewhat accidentally, correct me if I'm wrong, became a nature play advocate when she moved to her husband's small hometown in Indiana and realized people thought she was crazy for taking regular strolls with her young kids during the winter. And didn't one woman feel so bad for you because she thought you were destitute and didn't own a car? Yes. (laughs) I was walking my daughter, my oldest daughter, to preschool and um, this lady had seen me, you know, several times. And, and one day she just took me aside after, after school and said, you know, I, I wish that I really wish there was something I could do for you. She said, you know, she'd seen me um, walking to school and she had um, just jumped to the conclusion that I didn't have a car and she wanted to help out by giving me a ride. I've had others pull over when they've seen me outside with with my baby during the winter who offered me rides. And I've had others call me brave for being out in the snow and playing with my kids, even though I just thought I was doing what, you know, what I was supposed to do and, you know, getting the kids outside um, in all types of weather and all year round, because that's, that's how I grew up. and, And that's how I wanted to raise my children. So why do so many Americans think that that's dangerous to be outdoors with young children, whereas Swedes or Scandinavians do not? (laughs) I think because we have a very strong outdoor culture in the Scandinavian countries. It goes back a couple of hundred years. And there's also a huge consensus that children need it. So it's not just the parents thinking this. It's, uh, you know, healthcare workers, uh, teachers and preschool teachers and doctors, psychologists, you know, everybody is sort of in agreement that children need as much outdoor time as possible, especially in the early years. So why that has changed in the U.S., there are several factors, I think, contributing. But I know for sure that it has been different in the U.S. too, because I've had so many older Americans told me that we used to be outside all the time. I mean, it's that classic that everybody says, you know, well, we used to be out till the street lights came on uh, and mom would call us in for dinner. Um, and that's that's just a generation ago. Um, and I think we've just become very comfortable, maybe. And we've gotten used to that comfort. And then uh, all of a sudden you start thinking that, well, maybe it's not a good thing to be outside because it's uncomfortable. But I tend to think that, you know, I think it's good for kids to learn to be comfortable with the discomfort to know that it's not dangerous to experience cold weather or experience rain. Um, And um, 
I think that the key there is really to, to dress for the weather and head outside a little bit every day anyway, uh, regardless of the weather. So that's been my mission since I had my children uh, in the U.S. because I, I realized it was such a different culture and I, I was getting all these reactions and I, it made me feel like an outcast almost. So I started my blog to sort of reach out to other parents because I figured I didn't think I was completely alone in this, even though I was Swedish and all. I really thought there had to be uh, Americans too who were wanting this for their children, but may not have the tools or who may also feel really lonely in their parenting experience. So my idea was to build the blog and share what I did with my kids outside and and, uh, also answer people's questions. Because when you don't grow up in a culture that's outdoorsy, then it makes you more apprehensive because you don't want to be judged as the the bad parent, you know, and you might also feel insecure because if that's not how you were raised or, and you're not seeing your, you know, other family and friends raising their kids um, outside in the winter time and so forth, then you start asking these questions. You're not sure like how cold is too cold. And when you spend a lot of time outside, you actually, you learn to judge that. And uh, I mean, I, I had another mom ask me, she had just had a baby and it was in the winter time. And she said, well, I, I just wish it was summer so I could go outside with my baby. And I just didn't understand the question because uh, to me, it was normal to go outside with a baby in, uh, in the winter time as well. Children today grow up in all sorts of climates around the world and in a lot of places where you don't have access, like constant access to climate controlled, like indoor environments and humans are pretty good at adapting. So, so let's back up a little bit because I'm guessing you did not set out to become an advocate for outdoor play for kids. How did you end up here? And now you're back in Sweden. Yes. Um, I grew up in Sweden and then I met my husband who's from Indiana. We met in Australia and then I came over to the U.S. to live uh, first in Montana and then Indiana. And I noticed the culture was very different because I had grown up playing outside a lot, just like a lot of Americans did maybe a generation ago. And also having that sort of mantra, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. I had that with me and my, my whole sort of cultural fabric. And that's how my friends back home in Sweden were raising their kids. And then I had a bit of a culture shock when we moved to Indiana and I had my children. And like I said, I was getting all these reactions. The older they got, the more my frustration grew because when the kids were with me, I could always take them outside and we could do things all year round outside, but it was also impacting them when they weren't with me, like at daycare and then at preschool and at school, uh, where I noticed they weren't getting recess, you know, outdoor recess it was like non-existent in the wintertime. It was always too windy or too cold or too rainy in the school's opinion to send them outside. So the kids were just like climbing on the walls almost because they had so much excess energy and running around in whatever indoor space they had just wasn't cutting it. And they also used taking away recess as like punishment for things that the kids had done, like talking too loud at school. And so sounds like um, the opposite of what they should be doing because clearly these kids have a lot of pent up 
energy yes. to get out if they're just exactly. at the edge of their seats. And yeah, I remember especially one time my daughter came home from school and told me that the whole class had been made to stand on a, a yellow line in the schoolyard because some of the kids had been talking too loudly, like in the cafeteria when they were having lunch. So therefore, the entire class was made to stand on this line during this short, I mean, what I think they had like a 15 minute recess period at that point That's and half so of it, sad. they were made, they were made to stand on this line and it ran counter to everything that I knew about child development and physical and mental health. So, so it just kind of became a mission of mine and uh, being a journalist as well. I uh, just kind of set out on that journey where I read up a lot on uh, child development, like I said, and I read uh, Richard Lou's, you know, Last Child in the Woods, which is a, an excellent uh, book as well, which kind of started this whole movement to get kids back outside. And then I thought, you know, I, I really thought I had a story to tell. And that's how, how I ended up writing my book, because I thought that way it would reach a, a bigger audience. And here, here we are uh, six years later, and it's great to see that it keeps uh, finding new audiences, which is fantastic. I, I never would have, you know, expected that. So. so your 2017 book, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. Tell me about uh, the reception and the reactions that you got. It was received really well. I had uh, some good uh, reviews. I mean, it did fine. But what happened was that so many people felt like they could relate to the message in the book. And they really took it to heart. So the readers really started doing the marketing for me. And that's how it's been ever since. They have shared their stories, you know, um, like on their social media and with their friends and family. And it's been great because it's really taken on a life of its own. And I think it shows that the message is really needed at this time. I think a lot of people are feeling that uh, we're just kind of rushing through childhood, that kids are bearing the brunt of our hustle culture where we want everything to be done, you know, faster and better. And, and, and it's so very competitive. And this is trickling down now to, to our children and impacting their lives in a, in a way that is not conducive to good health, you know, neither physical nor mental health. And we know that outdoor play is, I wouldn't say it's a panacea for children's health, but it's pretty darn close. <laughs> you know, it, it really has so many ingredients of what a child needs um, and adults too, for that matter. But I think, you know, for, for children, I think it's especially important to, to be outside because they have such a great need for play. I mean, that's how they learn. And the outdoor is just the perfect place for that. Uh, outdoors, you can have like this varied, very varied environment. And it's very inviting, conducive to imaginary play and it just gives children, you know, the, the, the space that they need to really, to be physically active too. It's just so much easier outside. You were talking about Americans being so structured and just kind of bringing our kids into that culture of needing to succeed. What to you are the biggest differences between structured and unstructured play? Because it seems like so much of the time that kids spent outdoors is at soccer practice or baseball practice and is not just yeah. that organic outdoor imaginary yeah. thing that you're talking about. So the first thing is if it's structured, then it's not really play, then it's an activity. So that's like one of the main um, differences. Like the whole definition of play is that it's led by children, it's initiated by children, 
and it's just done for fun. So it doesn't have, it doesn't have to have a purpose or there's no like specific agenda. It's just something that they do for fun, um, for starters. So if it's something that is structured and led by adults, then it is an activity. And I know it's like, it sounds like it's semantics, but it's like really important to make that distinction because I think a lot of time us adults, we think of like the soccer practice as being play, but it's actually, it's not because the children are not in charge. They're not deciding the rules. Like the main benefits of unstructured play is that um, the children get a chance to, to be in charge. They get to practice being in charge, uh, setting their own rules getting along with each other, trying to figure things out on their own. And also, I think this comes as a surprise to a lot of people, but uh, there are some studies that show that uh, kids actually move more when they're in unstructured play than when they are playing soccer, for example, because there's a lot of standing still um, as well. You, you know, you're waiting, there's a lot of transitions and um, and all that yeah, uh, kids like, were taking a tennis lesson the other day and it was actually yeah. just the three of them because no one else showed up and the uh-huh. instructor had them waiting in a line behind each other and they yeah. were you know looking over here looking there and she said <laughs> pay attention and I'm thinking what are they supposed to do they're bored and they're just standing yeah. there right right and I'm not anti-sports by any means I think there are definitely some good things about learning how to be a part of a team and also like working towards a goal and, and all that. So I think they are both uh, beneficial, but I think in general, we tend to sort of gloss over unstructured play. We tend to think of it, we have, I mean, society, the way it is today, we've come to think of unstructured play as a waste of time. Unfortunately, this is very, very sad um, because uh, unstructured play is how children learn. That's how they learn Uh, about themselves. It's how they learn about the world around them. Um, And this is universal. This is what not only children do uh, around the world, it's what practically all mammals do. They imitate adults in their play. So that's how they learn how to, you know, become adults eventually. They process emotions. And the younger they are, the more important I think it is with the unstructured play. For the little ones, it's it's far more, I think, important to give them time for unstructured play than to enroll them in soccer when they're four. It's just more beneficial to to their development. And I think there's a lack of it in, in society today. We just, we're not making time for it because we have devalued it. The adults have devalued it, which is, which is sad. Absolutely. I mean, I live in St. Louis and here on the weekends, the soccer fields are filled with kids and we'll go to a playground on a Saturday morning. It'll be empty. Yeah. Yeah. Just a question about actually implementing this unstructured play. So many times today, parents are concerned about sending kids outdoors by themselves for good reason. So how do you implement this? And what is the role of a supervisor? Like if a parent is sitting outside while the kids are running around, how involved should they or shouldn't be? in what their kids are choosing to do. Yeah, I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable with the idea of, you know, children playing outside by themselves. And I think it's a matter of of doing this gradually. So, for example, when my kids were little and I'd take them to the playground to play, what I would do was that I would gradually – sort of increase my distance to them. So when they were real little, well, then I would supervise pretty closely. 
And then the older they got, the more freedom I gave them to play and explore on their own. So I would increase my physical distance and, you know, doing that and seeing that they could handle it then that also, you know, my confidence grew with that too. So I started by walking like in little uh, circles around the playground because I figured that way I got some exercise at the, at the same time. And then I would gradually increase this, this distance. So that's like one way of doing it. I think in general, we may exaggerate the danger of letting children play outside. I mean, I, I totally understand that there are places where it's not safe to let kids outside by themselves, whether it's due to traffic or violence or uh, whatever. But in a lot of cases, it has more to do with our own fears as parents than it has to do with the actual real dangers. So uh, and you can even start practicing inside if you're not comfortable outside, you know, start by, you know, leaving the child play in a separate room and then just go check every now and then. And eventually, you know, you build a trust. And I think it's also important to know that children will sometimes get hurt playing outside, scratches and bruises. And I think we just have to sort of accept that as as a part of outdoor play. But what we tend to forget is that it's not risk-free for a child to be constantly cooped up inside either, you know, by being inside all the time, their health is going to suffer in the long term. It's a different kind of danger, but I think it's more real than a lot of the dangers that we think are present outside. So yeah, in your book, I think think you were talking about how nearsightedness has increased over the past several decades, ADHD. What are some of the other issues that are happening because of Americans keeping their kids indoors more. Yeah, so myopia or nearsightedness has become a bit of an epidemic. I mean, in Asia, there are some communities where I think like 90% of the children um, have nearsightedness because they are so much indoors. And they, the researchers used to think it was because they kids were on their screens and like looking at their screens. But, but it turns out that the biggest problem is just the time spent inside and not being outside where you see things that are like on different distances and, you know, getting the daylight too, which is also important for the development of like normal eyesight. But then of course there's vitamin D deficiency, which has not, hasn't been an issue before, but in the UK, they're reporting that they're actually cases of rickets in the UK now among children, which is a disease that we believe was, you know, long gone. And that is because the researchers chalked it up to kids being cooped up inside too much, and they're not getting enough vitamin D for normal bone development. So vitamin D is also really important for immune system. And then there, of course, there's obesity, which is a large part of that, of course, is diet. But the physical activity, of course, that plays a part too. So, and then yes, it's uh, ADHD and not saying that lack of outdoor play is causing ADHD, but what the research can show is that being outside can actually help uh, reduce symptoms of ADHD. So if you do have a child who's uh, neurodivergent, you know, being outside can help. It can also help children focus better. Uh, after they've been outside, they can focus better on their schoolwork. So for schools, you know, it's really a no brainer. I don't know why getting um, outdoor recess, why that is so 
difficult at a lot of schools in the U.S. because it, it runs counter to all the research that we have on this topic. So it's, it's common sense, really, but the research is there too to support it. So there's just no excuse. The sad thing is, it's probably due to lawsuits and due to not wanting to hear an earful from anxious parents. Mm-hmm. Why did you let my child play when there's ice on the ground? They could slip and yep. break their arm. Yeah, I, I heard this from school administrators uh, multiple times. I had one principal tell me that, yeah, they, they the kids used to be outside when it was raining a bit, but now they had parents calling as soon as they as soon as they saw a rain cloud uh, in the sky, uh, and the kids were if the kids were outside for for recess, you know the school would would be getting calls from concerned parents. So I think that's definitely a problem, and it's uh, it's just not good for child development. And, and one, one one thing that I that I that was very telling about the difference between attitudes in Scandinavia and in the U.S. When I researched my my book, I I took my kids to to Sweden. I lived here for uh, for about six months, and my kids were in Swedish preschool and school. And it was during the winter. So I thought it was interesting to see how the, the Swedish school handled the snow and the ice and the cold because in the kids' American school, the kids had been ba- like banned from walking on the ice. Um, and usually like they were not allowed to play with the snow either because it, there was a fear that they were going to slip on the ice and they were going to get a little bump on the head or whatever. So none of the kids were allowed on the ice. And so in Sweden, rather than just banning the kids from going on the ice, the PTA came up when it got cold enough and actually um, poured water like on the soccer field so so that it froze. And then they let the kids bring their ice skates to school. No way. And the only rule was that you got to have, you got to wear a helmet to go on the ice. And so that's just like two different ways of, handling a potential risky situation. So you can either ban the kids from going on the ice or you can actually use the ice to do something fun, use it to your advantage and just set some rules uh, around it, like how it can be used. That and, just doesn't sound real. It yeah. sounds like some happy yeah. scene in a Christmas movie that you can only dream about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you had That's a quote funny. in your book that you said in Sweden, indoor recess was only allowed if there was a realistic chance of death by lightning. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that was also a big, big difference in, in the U.S. The kids were like constantly begging the teachers to go outside in the wintertime at recess. And in Sweden, it was more like, you know, if it was a really rainy day, the kids were like begging the teachers, like, can we go back inside now? <laughs> so it was like total opposite. Kids so. love the rain. Whenever it pours at home, I always bring the kids outside and they're kind of scared because that's what they're taught here. We shouldn't yeah. go outside. I said, yes, you can. I mean, there's no lightning. And then, yeah. you know, they take off their shoes, they splash around and they just have the best time. I mean, that's what, that's what they're supposed to do, it seems. Yes, absolutely. I'm just curious, when you took your kids back to Sweden, how did their energy levels at home differ when they were cooped up inside all day at school versus when they were allowed to run around during the day and play outside? So I think the first thing I noticed was definitely how their moods improved. Uh, My oldest, she was in second grade uh, when we came over here and she used to have meltdowns after school because there was so much homework. And like you said, she'd she'd been uh, inside all day and uh, she said to me that she hated school by second grade and uh, it broke my heart 
It really did. And I noticed immediately when we came over here, it was just so much more relaxed. The academic expectations were also like lower. The, the school day was shorter. One fifth of the school day was recess. And there was just so much less homework. So it was just easier for all of us to, to find that balance between work and play and just being a family. So how do you think, and obviously you think about this a lot, how do you think that Americans can turn it around and do a better job of embracing the outdoors when it seems we have such an aversion to it on the gut level at this point? So that's kind of what my second book is about, which is called The Open Air Life. And it's all about the Nordic outdoor tradition of friluftsliv, which translates to open air life, roughly. And it's about how we can find uh, nature in our everyday lives and how we can embrace it and sort of make it part of our family rhythm. So I think to make a change, we first have to like really realize that we are a part of nature and it is just essential to our well-being and we need to prioritize it. I think we made ourselves um, so busy. And I'm not talking about like the single mom working three jobs just to survive here. I mean, there are people who are really struggling just to get by in everyday life. And this is, I realize this is not going to be on top of their list. Um, but I think in a lot of cases, we are busy because we've made ourselves busy and we've just organized our lives that way because it makes us look successful or because we think it's good for us. But in in fact, you know, I, I think we, we would benefit from having more downtime, more slow time in our lives, and nature can really play an important role here. So my advice is really to just begin to incorporate it, um, even if it's just like 15 minutes a day. If that's what you can manage initially, start there and make it easy to get outside. Make sure that you have, it's really key to really, to try and find some local nature areas and it doesn't have to be that grand like every outing doesn't have to be an epic adventure i say this all the time because i think people when people think of nature they think oh let's plan a road trip to yellowstone national park it doesn't have to be that big uh, it's wonderful if you can go see the national parks they're amazing um, but even there, uh, unfortunately a lot of people just drive through them and stop at the parking lots and don't really experience nature. So I think key here is to to get outside in your neighborhood, find your nearby nature areas and just experience the little things like your local trees and birds. You can find signs of, of the natural world everywhere pretty much. Um, it's like a spectrum to the truly wild places are also more restorative uh, to our mental health. But even in the city, you can find peace and quiet in a park and do it as a family too, because the beauty of that is that uh, it's something that you can enjoy doing uh, all life. The soccer and the baseball, like and that's going to be over by high school for most kids. But feel sleeve being out in nature is something that you can benefit from and enjoy. I still take my mom for walks sometimes. My kids are with me. Like, so it's like three generations outside. That's a lot of times that's how we hang out here. I love that. And what would you suggest for people who are just very new to this concept? Uh, with little kids, it's usually easiest to just let them, yeah, let them explore on their own. But if, if you're worried that they're, an, or if they're unwilling to go outside, which can also be the case uh, with some ages, the kids are just not into it. It's just, they're more comfortable inside. They want to stay on the couch and, and that. 
then yeah, bring a ball outside. If that's if they like to kick the ball around, um, we do that sometimes in the winter time too. So you just gotta think outside the box sometimes. There's a lot that you can do with very simple means, I think. Play some hide and seek, or I always try to have like some games up my sleeve when my kids were younger. And I think the way we play outside, you know, it's just different seasons of childhood too. So it just depends. Like when when your child is a baby, it's it's easy in some aspects, from some aspects, you know, granted you have all the diapers and you gotta bring this whole diaper bag full of gear, but it's easy to just wear your baby or carry your baby and you can just take them anywhere. Uh, once they get a little older, then you gotta change your strategy a little bit. But if you just start with baby steps and what, with what you're comfortable with and just make it a habit, then you will get more comfortable I usually say that the most important thing is to, to make sure that your child's needs are met before you go out. Like uh, if you want to make it easy on yourself, make sure that they're pottied and fed and that they're not too tired. So uh, just a little cheat sheet for people. Mm-hmm. Is there a temperature that's too hot or too cold to go outside either with a newborn or with a slightly older child? I think it's pretty rare to get to those temperatures where you can't even leave the house. Um, as an example, I had my kids out during the polar vortex in Indiana a few years back and the weatherman at that point said it was going to be like negative 40 with wind chill. Yeah, maybe this was a little crazy, but I thought this is a lot, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity to feel what negative 40 feels like. I've never done that before. So we bundled up uh, because we'd spent a lot of time outside in cold temperatures. Basically, the only thing you could see that was exposed was our eyes or their eyes. And we were outside for a good half an hour. That's uh, impressive. Yeah. And I was the one who wanted to go inside. So the kids were quite comfortable, actually. And, you know, even if you see one temperature on the forecast, it doesn't mean that's going to be the temperature where you are. So much of it just comes down to wind and the sun is out or, you know, whatever. So, you know, if you're not sure, then my advice is usually to stay closer to home. So we were just outside our house. So if the kids got cold, I could take them inside immediately. You know, you just got to consider the risks and mitigate them. And and, uh, in this case, I mitigated the risk through clothing and also staying close to home. So Um, I was actually a TV reporter during the same polar vortex. Oh, really? I remember, yes, bundling up, same thing. But my TV reports, a lot of them were about, this is dangerous, stay indoors. But what I should have been saying was, you can be outside, but just stay close (laughs) to home. Yeah. And then conversely, with heat is, of course, a little different. I hear this a lot, like, well, you know, you can only take off so so many clothes, obviously. you know, going around naked is probably not not an option in most neighborhoods. Um, but here's the thing, like we sit in a sauna like every week. I don't know my temperature conversion here now, but it's sometimes it's like 100 degrees Celsius, which is I don't know how many degrees Fahrenheit that is, but it is hot. I mean, super hot. And we we'll sit in the sauna for hours. Like we'll go 212 out. degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds very dangerous. <laughs> It's actually, uh, they say it's good for you. <laughs> but see, that's my uh, so American <laughs> gut instinct. I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, I know. We, we mix it up with uh, cold plunges. So uh, we do it throughout the winter. It's a bit of a, you know, shock to the system, but we believe it's good for our immune system here. So it's very, very common, actually. I've actually done news stories about the fact that a dramatic change in temperature is what causes colds. Huh. Well, I don't know. But we're all sick all the time. So who knows? (laughs) Sounds like you guys have it right over there. Yeah. 
Um, I know that cold plunges, they've done some studies on that. If cold temperatures make you sick, you'd think that cold plunges would really, yeah, give you, would really make you sick. But what the studies show is that it can actually help prevent some respiratory infections. Uh, there haven't been a whole lot of studies on it, but the, the research that is available suggests it sort of jolts the immune system into action. So it's like a, it's like a vaccine kind of like it triggers, triggers the immune system just enough to, uh, uh, to give you protection against illness. Speaking of which, I wanted to um, address one thing you said in your book, which was mm-hmm. a quote from, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Cronin's mm-hmm. Apotech. That yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. This is a pharmacy chain in Sweden. During flu season, their advice was, quote, the first step toward fewer runny noses and less coughing is to let the child spend as much time outside as possible. Yeah. Whereas in America, we're just, we just tout the flu vaccine all the time. Yeah. I think, the, you know, being outdoors uh, should really be your first line of defense. We can see this when you compare uh, forest schools with regular schools and forest schools, for those who don't uh, know, is uh, like preschools in Sweden where children are outside uh, the bulk of the day. And uh, when they made these comparisons, they've seen that the kids at the forest schools actually have fewer sick days. And even when they have infections like the stomach flu, which always goes around you know, in the wintertime, um, they don't get it as bad as the regular preschools. And, and it really makes a lot of sense because viruses and, and bacteria, they just, they spread a lot easier indoors. The kids are on top of each other. All these germs are, you know, everywhere on, on all these toys and whatnot. And when you're outside, there's more room for the kids to, to run around and they're not as close. And also it's harder for the germs. They don't thrive uh, outside. It makes a lot of sense that the kids who are outside more um, are also generally uh, healthier. So is Americans unhealthy relationship with the outdoors why you decided to move back to Sweden? <laughs> um, no, it was it was more like personal reasons. Um, but I, I did miss the outdoor culture. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. I, I did. And I did always sort of miss being surrounded by a culture where nature is such an essential part of life. And it made me think that I wanted my kids to experience this part of their heritage, too. Wrapping up, let's talk about the trajectory. So. You wrote your book six years ago. Since then, have you seen America's relationship with the outdoors become better or worse? And how much hope do you have for us in the future? (laughs) I'm actually hopeful uh, because I've seen the children and nature movement take off. It's just looking at the growth of uh, like nature preschools and forest schools. You know, there are over a thousand of them today. When I started out, like when I had my first daughter, they were virtually unheard of. And, and we need that type of change too. We need it on the institutional level. Uh, you can always change what you do for your family. That's, of course, the easiest thing to change, what you, what you do at home. But of course, you'd love to see that sort of that bigger change too. Uh, the younger generation too, like I think uh, they will be drawn to, to cities that, are, that have you know, the park spaces, the urban trails. So I, I think yeah, city planning is going to, going to have a, a big role to play in the future. And I think it, I think cities to be competitive are going to need to, to be, you know, they're going to need to incorporate more green space um, because it's just, it's just good policy for everybody, you know, for preventive healthcare and, and uh, for people's um, mental wellness and, and every, everything. So 
And it's almost like the more screens we have and the more we're forced to sit in front of our computers, mm -hmm. the more we crave being outside, yes. I think. Uh-huh. Exactly. You know, after after I've been on my computer for for an entire day, um, it's like my whole body is just uh yeah, like craving it and I just have to get get outside. <laughs> So I want to end with a quick anecdote. I think I mentioned in my email to you yesterday that I was busy preparing for my daughter's outdoor birthday party. So there was zero <laughs> chance of rain. The kids were playing. It was great. The pizza just arrived about to eat. All of a sudden, the sky opened up and torrential downpour. Not only that, hail. And oh, I'm no. thinking, oh, no, my poor daughter. Everyone's going to leave. We're going to be stuck with 14 boxes of pizza, 90 slices of cake. But lo and behold... Um people huddled under trees, virtually wow. nobody left. Everyone stuck it out. Um, oh, kids were even so huddled nice. under a parked tractor trailer, just eating oh, wow. pizza and <laughs> looking around. And I, everyone had fun. I mean, it was, it was just one of those exhilarating, memorable experiences, knowing what I know and what you know about American mm -hmm. culture. I just assumed everyone would run for the hills. But yeah. it does give me a little bit of hope that yeah. they That's didn't. Awesome. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, just that if people want to uh, stay up to date with what I'm up to, um, they can go to my blog, rainorshinemama.com. That's uh, mama with two N's. And uh, I also use Facebook and Instagram, a little bit of TikTok. Uh, my kids keep telling me that you have to be on TikTok, mom. Uh, I'm not convinced. <laughs> so, no, the Chinese are spying on us through it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if people just want to get a sort of behind the scenes look at my life, I think Instagram is probably the best place to go. It's rain or shine mama is my handle there too. And go outside today. Yes. <laughs> Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is truly helpful and inspiring. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Rebecca. Of course. And thank you all so much for joining us on Momlitics today. I'm your host, Rebecca Sheehan. We'll see you next time.